Okay, inshallah. I think that's about enough time. If uh, I usually give people a few minutes, inshallah, just two, three minutes, if anyone wants to push submit at the last moment. But uh, after the next two, three minutes, we will not accept any submissions. Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salam, ala abdillahi wa rasulih, nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, abad. Okay, so, insha'Allah ta'ala, we are starting a new subject. Uh, this subject is actually uh, a combination of two subjects, one of which will be continuing from what we did in the last subject, and one of which will be new. So in this module, we're going to continue a little bit of usul al-fiqh, probably two weeks, and this week and next week. And then we will do two weeks of al-qawa'id al-fiqhiyyah, which are those general rules uh, upon which fiqh rulings are often based. So sort of comprehensive rules within the Sharia that can be applied in almost every circumstance, almost every situation. So that's a nice topic to finish off with, but probably will only take a couple of weeks. So what we'll do is we'll continue with usul al-fiqh, especially because now we have some of the most important topics to deal with within usul al-fiqh, and we'll keep coming back to it throughout the course. Continuing on with al-waraqat, for the next two weeks. We have finished with Al-Haqiqa and Al-Majaz. And the conclusion that we came to is that Ahlus Sunnah fall within two categories when it comes to the Majaz. Some people would like to tell you it's only one, but in reality there are probably two categories. The first are those who say that there is no such thing as al-majaz, at least no such thing as al-majaz defined by any how the, the people of Kalam defined it. It doesn't exist within the Arabic language. And the second group said it does exist but it doesn't exist within the Qur'an and it definitely doesn't exist within the sifat, the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This basically is the limit of the sunnah when it comes to al-majaz. Either you say it doesn't exist in Arabic at all or you say no, it exists in Arabic but it doesn't exist within the names and attributes of Allah and mostly or generally it doesn't exist within the Qur'an or even if you say that it exists even within the Qur'an at least you say that it doesn't exist within the names and attributes of Allah in reality it seems to me that the definition that is given by the likes of Al-Juwaini If we follow his definition, then the majaz doesn't exist in Arabic at all. It doesn't exist in Arabic at all. And that is because every single usage of a word in Arabic is a valid usage. To say that one usage is the original and the other one is like a metaphor or is an invalid or is like a, uh, you know, some kind of new fangled usage that no one has used before is not valid. The reality is that these words have been used by the Arabs since the language has existed. People have said a lion for a brave man and people have said a lion for an animal that has claws and sharp teeth. And both of them are valid and one of them is not more valid than the other or more original than the other or or whatever. However, it's important to note that 
it is still within the belief of Ahl Sunnah to say that the Majaz exists, that metaphor or metaphorical speech exists, but just not to say that it, do, it exists within the names and attributes of Allah. This is the most important thing. So there were a group of scholars who said, yes, when you say Muhammad is a lion, you are using a new metaphor. You are not, you are not using the original meaning of the word. But that the names and attributes of Allah are not metaphorical. The names and attributes of Allah are as they are told in the Quran. So whichever of those two a person implements, at the end of the day, it doesn't take them outside of being from Ahlul Sunnah. That's why you might perhaps read some explanations where they will say, whoever says that the Majaz exists has followed the way of the Asharis, for example. And that's not really the case. The key thing is whether you say that the Majaz exists within the names and attributes of Allah. However, it can be argued that the whole concept of the Majaz was only invented by them in order to put doubt into the names and attributes of Allah. And that is the biggest argument for just getting rid of it and putting it on the side and ignoring it completely, is to say that it was only invented it was never spoken about by anyone until these people came along and used it to say the names and attributes of Allah don't mean what they say and don't say what they mean. We've moved on from that now and we're on to something which is more important in the sense of usul al-fiqh, it's more important. And that is commands and prohibitions. And the reason this is so important is that at the end of the day the purpose behind the Islamic texts as we have said many times is to act upon them. The purpose behind the texts of the Quran and the Sunnah is to act upon them. And for that reason we say that a person who memorizes the Qur'an but doesn't act upon it is not praiseworthy. Even if they've memorized the whole Qur'an or they've memorized a thousand hadith or ten thousand hadith, if they don't act upon those hadith or they don't act upon that Qur'an then we consider that memorization to be potentially a punishment from Allah, not a blessing from Allah. Because the knowledge you will be asked about on the Day of Judgment is the knowledge that you act upon. Not the knowledge that you, have, you just happen to know. The knowledge you happen to know, what you'll be asked about is how much did you act upon out of what you knew. And since acting upon the knowledge we have is given such importance in Islam, one of the most important areas of usul al-fiqh relates to commands and prohibitions. How do we know what Allah is telling us to do and what Allah is telling us not to do? This is very important. And this is very much a part of the core of usul al-fiqh, the core topics. Because if you look at all of that stuff relating to philosophy and rhetoric, you come out of it, you didn't benefit anything, you didn't learn anything, you didn't change anything, you didn't do anything. You just came out of it with a bit of a headache, scratching your head saying, you know, like, why are we talking about metaphors? What is all this discussion about metaphorical language? You didn't learn anything. From it. You didn't learn anything you can act upon. Whereas this element, which is commands and prohibitions, is very much something you, you implement in your life. How do I know, I'm going through Islamic texts, how do I know what is a command and what is a prohibition? And when I find a command, what does it indicate that I should do? Do I have to do it? Do I have to do it only once? Do I have to do it my whole life? Do I have to do it quickly or can I take my time? 
So this is what we're going to deal with in this, uh, what remains of this lesson today. Al-Juwaini rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, وَالْأَمْرُ إِسْتِدْعَاءُ الْفِعْلِ بِالْقَوْلِ مِمَّنْ هُوَ دُونَهُ عَلَى سَبِيلِ الْوُجُوبِ So he mentions one, two, three, four parts of a command, al-amr. He mentions four parts to the definition when he talks about what is a command. He mentions four parts. And again, in each one, we're going to ask, is he correct in that or not? So the first thing he says is that a command is to request an action. To request an action. And to ask someone to do something. To request an action. His second part, by saying something. To request an action by saying something. In other words, I say to you, sit down. I have requested you to sit by saying something to you. Then he says, From someone who is less in status than you. Meaning that a command is only called a command according to Al-Juwaini when it comes from someone higher in status to someone who is lower in status. And that when a command comes from someone lower in status to someone higher in status, it's called, for example, a request, not a command. And they have any, some different variations in this. For example, when you command or when you use a word which would be a command towards Allah, what do we call it? Dua. Allah forgive me. Are you commanding Allah to forgive you? And are you saying to Allah, you must forgive me and if you don't, you will be punished. No, you're not commanding Allah. You are making dua. And likewise, when you have your colleague at work who is on the same level as you, you're not his boss, he's not your boss, he's on the same level as you, and you say to him, could you please, do you mind bringing me, the, you bring me this, uh, a pencil or a pen or something like that? Then likewise, this is not called a command. This is not called a command. This is called a request or you know, something like that. So you have like a dua and a request and a command. This is according to Al-Juwaini. We will talk about whether this is valid or not. So according to Al-Juwaini, a command is only a command if it comes from someone who is higher in status to someone who is lower in status. And his fourth definition or his fourth part of the definition that it should be given with the intention of an obligation. And it should be given for the purpose of making something obligatory. So he has here four things. Requesting an action. Requesting an action by saying something. To someone who is less than you in status with the intention of it being an obligation. So let's give an example of a command in the Quran. Let's give an example of a command. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَةِ Establish the salah. This command, أَقِيمُ أَقِيمُ الصَّلَةِ This command, أَقِيمُ This is a statement from Allah. And it is commanding you to perform the prayer. It's commanding you to do something. So it's a statement from Allah commanding you to perform the prayer. And there's no doubt that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-aliyul a'la. He is the most high. He is the highest and the most high. And therefore there is no doubt that Allah is commanding those who are less in status than him. And there is no doubt that in this instance, this command is obligatory. But where the real question is going to come is Okay, the statement of Al-Juwaini works for this example. Does it work for every example or are there some things that we should be careful of? Some of the people of knowledge had a problem with this uh, definition by Al-Juwaini in, in, in one particular area. And it's a little bit complicated, so I don't want to go into it too much. But what they said is that the belief of Al-Juwaini is that Speech is only a meaning that is found within yourself. And what he should have said is that the command itself tells you to do the action. But he used a word which indicates that you hear the word and then the meaning you understand from that in yourself is that you should do the action that is required. Maybe I think when we translate it into English, we don't have this problem anymore because we translate it into English in a way that it makes, it makes sense. But probably in Arabic, there is a query over this use of the word istid'a, requesting someone to do an action. Because in reality, when you command someone, that command directly relates or directly results in them doing something. And it's not a case that you hear some random sounds and then you translate it in your heart to mean something and then, you know and this all goes back to this concept that they have of trying to get away from the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks and we'll leave it there we won't go into that in too much detail but where we probably need to start is this issue of whether or not commands only come from people of or those of higher status to those of lower status and in this there are four different opinions the first one is that a command is only called a command if it has two things If the status of the one giving the command is higher and if the command is given by force this is opinion number one that for a command to be a command it has to have two things it has to come from someone who is higher in status to someone who is lower in status and number two it has to be given with with 
emphasis and with, you know, with force. Do this. Sit down. So they would not include, would you please sit down? Could you, did you mind, would you mind sitting down? They would not include this in a command, the people who held this opinion. Because a command is something that has to be given according to them. It has to be given by emphasis, by force. Sit down, stand up, be quiet. It can't be, if you don't mind, would you kindly, if it's okay, would you sit down? They would not consider that to be a command. And likewise, they said it has to come from someone in higher status to someone in lower status. So they said, if someone of lower status says to someone of higher status, sit down. For example, a son says to his father, dad, sit down. Then according to them, it's not a command. Because it came from the son to the father. Likewise, they would also say, if the father said to the son, son, if you don't mind, would you, would you just go and bring that for me? They would say this is not a command because he did not say so forcefully and emphatically. So these people who held the first opinion, they said it needs two things. It has to come from someone who is higher status to someone who is lower status. And it has to be given with force and emphasis. This is opinion number one. Opinion number two is the exact opposite of that. They said it does not have any requirements at all except for to use the wording of a command. It doesn't matter if you say, please sit down. It doesn't matter if you say, would you mind sitting down? It doesn't matter if you are less than the person or higher than the person or equal to the person. If you use the words, sit down, then that is according to the people who hold the second opinion, that is enough for a command to be a command. The third one is that it requires status but not emphasis. In other words, any wording, any request to do something which comes from someone of a higher status to someone of a lower status, this is a command. Even if they ask nicely, even if they don't force and shout, or even if they don't use emphasis, even if they just say, would you mind bringing me this? Would you please sit down? And the fourth one is that it requires emphasis but not status. In other words, if a son says to his father, sit down, then this is a command. Even though the son is less in status than the father. What is the correct opinion? The correct opinion, inshallah ta'ala, is the second one. That it does not require any particular status, nor does it require any particular emphasis. But what it does require is a particular use of words. If those words are used, then this is a command. Regardless of whether you are less in status or higher in status. Regardless of whether you are speaking with emphasis or without emphasis. The important thing is not whether you are higher or lower or emphasizing or not emphasizing. The important thing is simply, are you using these particular words? If you are using these particular words, then this is what we call a command. Do we have an evidence for this? Do we have an evidence for this? We have an evidence for this from the Quran. Fir'aun said to his people in Surah, this is mentioned in Surah Al-A'raf, ayah number 110. Musa 
wishes to expel you from your lands. So what do you command me to do? Okay, Fir'aun is saying this to who? Fir'aun is saying this to his people. Are his people less than Fir'aun or greater in status than Fir'aun? Fir'aun is greater in status than them. So, and yet Fir'aun asks them, what do you command me to do? Then this tells us that a command doesn't have to be from a one who is higher in status to a one who is lower in status. The most important thing is that it should be using these particular words. If it uses those particular words, then this is what matters. As for whether you say it emphatically or you don't say it emphatically or whether you're being forceful or not forceful or whether you are higher or lower, none of this matters. What matters is that you use particular words. And if these particular words are found, then this is what we consider to be a command. Before we talk about what those words are, we have that last part four to deal with, which is when you are, or when you are saying that you, to, for a command to be a command, you should be saying it with the intention of it being obligatory. So what Al-Juwaini is saying here is that if I am giving you a command with the intention of something being recommended, then it's not a command. It's only a command if I am forcing you or commanding you to do something. It's obligatory for you to do it. If I'm just politely requesting you to do something, then according to Al-Juwaini, this is not a command. However, again, the reality of this is not, I, I don't think this is completely correct. In reality, the mandub or the recommended act is a command. But it's a command for which you are not punished if you leave it. It's a command to do something. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding you to do something. For example, the siwak, using the miswak. The Prophet ﷺ commanded you to use the miswak. However, that command was not a command to <coughs> that you are going to be punished if you don't use it. But it was a command by means of encouragement. So again, I think here we should say that a command in Arabic, because I can use the same words, A command in Arabic may be an obligation, it may be a recommendation, and it may be declaring something permissible. And the example of that is when something is forbidden, and then you, you know, you say, you say to somebody, go and do it. For example, if I've just grounded my son, and he's not allowed out of the house, and then I say to him, Go and play football. When I say to him, go and play football, this is not an obligation. I'm not saying to him, you must go and play football. And if you don't go and play football now, I'm going to ground you for another two weeks. When I say to him, go and play football after he was grounded, this is me now telling him that it's allowed for you. It's permissible for you. Go and play football. Meaning if you want, go and play. If you don't want, don't play. But you're allowed now. And this happens in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَالْآنَ بَاشِرُوهُنَّ وَبَتَغُوا مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ In Surah Al-Baqarah. Now, be intimate with them. And seek the children that Allah has decreed for you. Okay, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, now be intimate with them, 
Is that a case that in every night in Ramadan a man must be intimate with his wife? That's not the case. But when it was haram before, and prior to that it was haram, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَالْآنَ بَاشِرُوهُنْ Now you can be intimate with them. This command, because it was something that was haram, and then a command came after something that was haram, what does that tell us? A command after something that had previously been haram tells us that it is now permissible. It doesn't tell us that it is now obligatory. It tells us that it is now permissible. You had something that was haram, then you got immediately after that haram a command telling you to do it. This is telling you that it is permissible. And we'll come to this in some more detail after that. So what is the best definition of a command? Or what is a better definition of a command? What would we offer as a better definition of what a command is? A command is a statement which necessitates doing an action. A statement which necessitates doing an action. That is it. That's a better definition than the one that is mentioned by Al-Juwaini. Because as we said, there is no condition of it being from someone higher status to lower status. And it's not always the case that it should be an obligation. Rather, it is a statement which necessitates doing an action and notice the way that the the person who suggested this gets out of the philosophy of saying that it's like requesting a meaning inside of your heart that makes you feel that you should just say it's a statement and that statement necessitates that you should do something that's a much cleaner crisper definition a statement that necessitates doing an action and by statement we, but we should be clear that the word statement is quite comprehensive. All those things which can take the place of a statement, such as signing to somebody or writing to somebody, because you can write a command to someone, right? I could write you a letter or an email and say, please bring this to next class. Please bring this to the next class. This would still be a command because writing can be used as a way of expressing something or a way of you know, stating something. So we say it is a statement and by statement we mean statement, signal, writing or anything which comes under that. A statement which necessitates doing something. Al-Juwaini then went on to say the word or the pattern which is used to indicate this in Arabic is if'al and that means whenever you find the pattern and I'll have to talk to you a little bit about patterns here whenever you talk, find the pattern if'al if'al this is a command. Now when we talk about patterns, this is a little bit, gets a little bit into Arabic and I don't really want to go too far into the Arabic language. But as you will probably know, Arabic is based upon root letters. In other words, when these letters are found within a word, they give that word a particular meaning. So for example, when you find a kaf, followed by a ta, followed by a ba, 
then this has something to do with writing. Could be write or written or wrote or writes or I am writing, you are writing, we are writing, a desk, a place of writing, a time of writing, a book, an author, but something to do with writing when you get those letters. Whenever you find any group of letters that follow the pattern if'al, like for example, ishrab, drink, or uktub, write, or ijlis, sit. Anything that follows that particular pattern, then this is a command. So anything which follows this particular grammatical pattern of if'al. So you could say, for example, three examples, we could say, ishrab, drink, or uktub, write, or ijlis, sit. These are three uh, examples. And there are, various, there are many variations of those, because Arabic is a little more complicated than that. There's more than just three variations. There are lots of different variations within the Arabic language of that. But it should be within this sort of category of these commands that follow this pattern. Now what we say is that this pattern, when you come across it in the Quran or in the Sunnah, this kind of statement, do this or drink, or sit, and this kind of command when it comes in the Qur'an or the Sunnah, then what does, it, what does it benefit you? What does it tell you you have to do? It tells you that this is a request to do something, or a command. And it may be obligatory, it may be recommended, it may be permissible. However, in general, when there is no evidence Otherwise, it is what? It is obligatory. And that's why it's a useful word to say in general. Because it's true that in general, commands mean things are obligatory. When Allah says to you, perform the prayer, is there any evidence to make the prayer recommended? Is there any evidence to say the prayer is permissible? There is no evidence. The general ruling is, if you get a command, that command means that the action is wajib. So whenever you come across a command in the Qur'an, whenever you come across a command in the Qur'an, that command is obligatory unless you have some kind of evidence to the contrary. What did we say is an example of evidence? That it comes immediately after it being haram. So Allah tells you this is haram, then Allah says, do it. This is haram, do it. That's an evidence that it's no longer obligatory. What's meant by that is that it's permissible. But generally when you get a command in the Quran, wherever a command comes in the Quran, it is obligatory in general. And this is the easiest way to get out of all of the confusion is to say in general. Because we can't say absolute. It's not absolute that every single command in the Qur'an is obligatory. But that is the general rule. And if a command isn't obligatory, there will be some kind of evidence that it isn't obligatory. There will be some sort of proof within the ayah, within the context, within the hadith. There will be a proof that it's not obligatory. Otherwise, the general principle is everything you are commanded to do is obligatory and that's important that's important for us to understand because it gives us a principle we can start from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said someone comes across and says you know praying is recommended in Islam we say no praying is obligatory in Islam because Allah told you perform the prayer and when Allah told you perform the prayer there is no 
context or anything which makes it not obligatory. So the basic principle is, in general, commands are obligations. And there are more than one, or there is more than one style of giving commands in the Qur'an. One is to use fi'l amr, to use the, what we call the imperative verb. So this is the first one, to use the imperative verb. The imperative verb is the one that we say in English, sit, stand, read, be silent. These are the imperative verb. So in Arabic, the same imperative verb, the imperative verb has many different forms, but you use the imperative verb. The second is to use the, in Arabic, is to use the present tense verb preceded by lam, by the letter lam. So the first one is to use the imperative. Like in English we would say, sit, stand, drink. In Arabic we might say, ishrab, ijlis, uktub, to use the command. The second is to use the present tense preceded by the letter lam. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Al-Hajj, ayah number 29. Notice here that for those of you who know Arabic, for those of you who don't know Arabic, it doesn't matter too much. You just notice that it's a present tense verb preceded by lam. Yattawafu means they are making tawaf. When you put the lam in front, it means let them make tawaf. So if you wanted the English equivalent, the English equivalent would be let them or let him. The English equivalent would be let them or let him. So let them... clean away their impurities and let them fulfill their oath and let them make tawaf of the ancient house. Notice that each of these commands in the Quran is preceded by let them. In Arabic, it is a lam followed by a present tense verb. So it's different from the normal imperative. The normal imperative in Arabic, ishrab. Ishrab. Here it would be liyashrab. So a lam followed by a present tense verb. If we want the English, for example, the example of the imperative would be drink, sit, be. And the example of this one would be let him sit, let him drink, let him be silent. Or like the hadith. Whoever believes in the last day, let him say good or be silent. فَلْيَقُلْ خَيْرًا أَوْ لِيَصْمُتْ Notice that لِيَقُلْ فَلْيَقُلْ Lam before the present tense verb. أَوْ لِيَصْمُتْ Or let him be silent. So in English we would generally say let him. Whenever you have the word let him, or let them, this is a command for those people. Why do we usually use, what is the difference? Why would we use let him versus just saying make tawaf? Why did Allah not say clean your impurities and fulfill your oaths and make tawaf? Because usually here we're applying the command to a particular group of people. So is this command for everyone in the world that they should clean their impurities and then they should fulfill their oaths and make tawaf? It is for the people who are performing the hajj. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about them in the third person. Let him fulfill his oath. 
let him make tawaf. So this is the second kind. The third type of command is to use the Arabic alaykum. Alaykum. Like in the ayah in Surah Al-Ma'idah, ayah number 105, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu alaykum anfusakum. Is to use alaykum as a command. So likewise, again, you may not know much Arabic, that's okay. But if you come across this word alaykum in the Quran, there are two possible meanings. Alaykum can mean on top of you. Any something is on top of you. So you could say your turbans are alaykum, they're on top of you. But here, alaykum, when it is used as a command. So for example, someone says to you, alaykum bis-sukut. Literally, upon you is to be silent. And we don't really use this much in English. Um, you tend to see it a lot in English translations which have been translated very literally from Arabic. They will say, oh you who believe, upon you is this. Upon you is that. Because in Arabic you can say alaykum and be commanding somebody. But alaykum is a word you use when you must do something. Probably in old English, in Shakespearean English, we would have probably said, upon you is to leave. Something like that. Upon you is to leave. But the meaning of this is, you must leave. Probably the closest thing we can come to it in English is the use of the word must. Because in English, we don't say upon you. Upon you to leave. But we probably do say similar things, like using the word must. Like using the word must. So it's not exactly the same in Arabic. Alaykum doesn't exactly mean must, but it's near enough to say that this is the idea. Using a word which means must. You must do this. And the fourth one, and the last one that we will cover uh, in this one is to use the verbal noun in place of the imperative. So this is a horrible grammar thing. And I've told you before, I like doing these in Arabic and I hate doing them in English. But anyways, is to use the verbal noun instead of the imperative. It might be better to give an example. So if we give an example from Surah An-Nisa, ayah number 36. وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا And to parents do good. Notice what I did in English here. In English, when I said to parents do good, I put the imperative back in. Because I said to you do good and do is an imperative. But in Arabic, the imperative is not there. It just says, Ihsana. So literally, the Arabic is, and to your parents, good. And to your parents, good. That's what it says in literal Arabic. To your parents, Ihsana, good. To your parents, good. How do we translate that into English? To your parents, do good or be good. Be good to your parents. And that's a proof that this is one of the commands in Arabic because clearly if it wasn't a command, we wouldn't translate it as a command in English. Someone might say, where did this translator get the word do good from? There is no word do in this whole sentence. We say that this is an example of a verbal noun, ihsan, which is a verbal noun, being used instead of a command, or instead of the imperative. So this is a, something you will see in Arabic. Bilwalidaini ihsana, to your parents, 
open brackets do, close brackets, good. And this is also a command. And it's the same as saying, Ahsin bilwalidain, be good to your parents. That would be an imperative. In Arabic, if you wanted to say it as an imperative, we would say, Ahsin bilwalidain, be good to your parents. But here we say, bilwalidaini, ihsana, to your parents, do good. Do being in brackets. So these are four examples you will come across in Arabic. Right now, if you don't know Arabic or you don't know much Arabic, I wouldn't worry too much about that, but just try and understand that you can get commands in different forms. So someone doesn't say to you that a command must be like this. No, you can get commands, do this, or you can get commands that say, let him do this, or commands that say, you must do this, or commands that say, that give the, give the understanding of a command even if they don't use the exact words. So for example, if I'm making a list and I'm saying things you must do, being good to your parents, being kind to your neighbor, these are also commands. So these are four things you'll find in, in the Arabic texts that are commands. The first one is the regular Arabic imperative. The regular Arabic imperative, the regular do, do this, do that, sit, stand, drink. The second one, let him, let him do this, let him do that. The third one is the Arabic equivalent of you must. You must do this, you must do that. And the third is where we use a sentence which doesn't use an imperative in there, but it gives you the same meaning. And to your parents, do good. And to your parents, do good. Two more things that I want to cover and then we're going to finish and they're very short. The first one is when Allah commands something, we should remind ourselves that this command indicates that Allah Azza wa Jal wills it or that Allah wants it to happen in terms of sharia, not in terms of qadr. We've talked about how want could be will or could be wish, right? We said that the word want, it could mean Allah wills it to happen as in qadr, or that Allah wishes for it to happen as in what Allah loves to happen. So let's talk about it like this, what Allah wills and what Allah loves. So when Allah commands something in the Quran, is that what He wills or what He loves? Generally in the Quran, when Allah is commanding something, unless it is talking about Qadr, when Allah is commanding something to you, telling you to do something, that is what Allah loves to happen. That is not what Allah decrees to happen. To give you a simple example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الصلاة, Perform the prayer. Does everyone in the world perform the prayer? No. So this means that Allah loves for the people to perform the prayer, but not necessarily that everyone will do so. Because there are two types of command. There is a command which is a, a shar'i command, an Islamic, a, a command in Islamic law. And there is a command in Qadr. Allah's command in Qadr cannot be refused. When Allah commands something in His decree, When Allah says be and it is, there is no one who can avoid that. No one who can stop that from happening. But the commands that Allah gives you in the Quran, the legislative commands, the commands which tell you do this and don't do this, these are what Allah loves for you. Whether you actually do them or not is a different issue. Allah loves for you to be good to your parents, but you may not be good to your parents. Allah has not made it a command of qadr, yani that everyone in the world must be good to their parents. Rather, Allah has made it something that He loves. He loves for you to be good to your parents. Whether you actually do it or not is a different matter. 
So we should not confuse these issues. That when Allah commands something, someone might say, Subhanallah, how can Allah say, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ And then there are all these people who don't pray. Because Allah told you something that He loves, not something that He decreed. If Allah decreed it, like death, Allah decreed everyone to die. كُلُّ نَفْسٍ ذَائِقَةُ الْمَوْتِ Every single soul will taste death. If Allah decreed every person to die, then it's not possible for someone not to die. It's not possible for anyone to live forever. Because Allah has decreed for every human being that every soul will taste death. But when Allah says perform the prayer, this is not a decree of qadr. This is not a decree of this must happen. But this is what Allah loves to happen. Allah wants you to pray. Allah loves you to pray. Whether you pray or not, that is a different matter. So we should understand that commands in Islam within the Qur'an and the Sunnah are what Allah loves you to do, not necessarily what will happen. Allah loves you to be good to your parents. You may be good to them, you may not be good to them depending on what Allah has decreed for you. And we once again want to emphasize that any command that does not have additional context is an obligation. Someone says, what's the ruling of being good to your parents? What are you going to say to them? Being good to your parents is wajib. It's obligatory. You say, what do you mean it's obligatory? I don't see any evidence. Where's your evidence from the Quran that being good to your parents is obligatory? We say, Allah said, وَبِلْوَالِدَيْنِ ihsana," And to your parents do good. And whenever Allah commands something, this is obligatory for you to do unless you have an evidence otherwise. Do we have any evidence otherwise? Is there anything in which the Prophet ﷺ said, be good to them sometimes, but it doesn't matter if you're not good to them all the time? Or was there ever an example where the Prophet ﷺ himself was bad to his parents so he could show you that it was okay to be bad to them sometimes and good to them sometimes? We don't find any of this. Therefore, the basic principle is that a command tells you that you have to do it. Do we have any evidence that commands tell you you have to do things? Very simple evidence from the Quran in Surah Al-Kahf. وَإِذْ قُلْنَا آيَةَ نَمْبَرَ 50 وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُوا لِآدَمَ فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسَ كَانَ مِنَ الْجِنِّ فَفَسَقَ عَنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّهِ When we said to the angels, prostrate to Adam. So they prostrated except Iblis. He was from the jinn and he disobeyed the command of his Lord. Can we link this to what we learned in the first module? What did we say that a command is? Wajib. How did we define the wajib? We said what you are rewarded for doing and under threat of punishment if you don't do it. Allah said to the angels, and Iblis was among the angels at that time. He was not an angel, but he was among, he was living among the angels. Allah said to them, Isjudu. Allah said to them, Usjudu. Okay. This command, Usjud, is one of those, the first category, the imperative. So it's a command. When Iblis did not follow that command, what happened to him? Allah described him as being disobedient. He defied the command of Allah. He was punished. He was taken out of Jannah. All of these bad things happened to him because Allah said to him, Usjud, and he didn't make sajda. So what is this an evidence for? It's an evidence that a command has to be followed. And you don't have a choice in it. Because all of these bad things happened to Iblis when he was given a command, Isjudu, Usjudu, and he didn't do it. Therefore, we learn from this that commands have to be done unless you have an evidence otherwise. Likewise, we have one more evidence which we'll mention to finish off in Surah An-Nur, Ayah number 63. 
فليحذر الذين يخالفون عن أمره أن تصيبهم فتنة أو يصيبهم عذاب أليم Let those who go against his command i.e. the command of the Prophet وسلم, beware in case they are afflicted with a torment or a painful punishment which thing can you be given a painful punishment for? can you be given a painful punishment for leaving the mandub? can you be giving a, given a painful punishment for leaving the mubah the permissible things? if I don't go to play soccer tonight can I get a painful punishment from Allah? if I don't use the miswak before my dhuhr prayer, can I be given a painful punishment from Allah? No. Allah said, those who oppose His command. Those who oppose His command. So when you oppose the command of Allah, that is when you put yourself at risk of a painful punishment. And so these two ayat, the ayah in Surah Al-Kahf and the ayah in Surah Al-Nur, are proof that commands the basic principle behind a command is that it means you have to do it. And this will help us when we come to the texts of the Qur'an and the Sunnah because whenever we find now a command in the Qur'an or we find a command in the Sunnah, we know that A, it's a command and B, we know that unless there is an evidence otherwise, it's obligatory for us to do it. Unless there is an evidence Otherwise, and inshallah, we will stop there and we will continue inshallah next week. Next week, we will finish what we are able to finish from Al Warakat. We will come back to the book again, inshallah, in a future module, but we'll finish this part of what we're able to finish and we will then start these general principles of fiqh, inshallah. Uh, but at least up until now, we hope we can finish the commands and prohibitions um, as much as possible, inshallah. Uh, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. A couple of points. Um, I'm not sure if by now I'm told you haven't yet received the approval for your titles for the home assignment. I have done them. I did them before Eid, but I guess the guys at Kalima haven't managed to send them out yet because they have... You know, they have a big backlog of work over aid time. So probably they haven't managed to send those uh, out to you. You should receive those quite quickly. And almost everyone got their title approved. But not the fir- always the first title. You gave three titles. So sometimes I approved your first title. Sometimes I approved your second one. Sometimes I approved your third one. Simply based on uh, whether I think it's relevant or also how many other people chose that one. I don't want everyone, like for example, everyone choosing the same title. So sometimes you might have chosen at your number three title of something that nobody else chose. So I would have picked that one. But I've given you feedback as to what I would have you know, said. Uh, please be careful about the feedback. I have mentioned on the feedback things like you need to choose more than one hadith. You know, some of you have given a, a proposed title. The title is good, but you've only chosen one hadith. One hadith is not going to be enough. You need to choose at least two hadith from the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawi. So some people have only chosen one hadith for their title. Really, you need to choose at least two. So you should go back to the 40 and listen to which other hadith you can also include. Because one hadith is not going to be really enough to give you, you know, the, the marks for the, for the work, inshallah. And some of you, I might have made some other comments like you might have submitted the title late, in which case you will lose some marks, but your title is still approved. About four or five people, I rejected the title. Usually the reason I rejected a title is either you only gave me one word, you didn't give me a title, like someone just said, charity, parents, prayer. Those were their three titles. Title number one was charity, Title number two was parents and title number three was prayer. But that's not a title. That's just a word. So you have to go back and give me a a title. A solution to the problem of people not praying from the hadith of Al-Arba'in Nawiyah, for example. You have to give me a title. Uh, Or you chose something which is not possible to like approve for whatever reason. So inshallah that should be given. Everything will be given to you in an email. You'll receive an email with your chosen title. And inshallah, you can go ahead and, and listen and, and work on that, inshallah. The SoundCloud should now be fixed with all of the relevant uh, 
audio on there that you can listen to. Uh, apart from that, inshallah, I'll be making some videos to go over the exam results because we got some people who were complaining a little bit. And okay, I don't mind that too much, but they were complaining that uh, we don't give you your marks back for the exams. That's true. We don't give you their marks back because logistically it's just too difficult to give everybody back their marks. And it opens up too many criticism and counter complaints and why did he get a mark for this and he didn't get a mark for this and what is this answer and that. But instead what I will do is record a video where I explain to you the correct answers for the exams. I've done it already for one exam but there are, there are a few more exams. I have like three more to do so I will do inshallah all of the the remaining four exams or whatever there are. Inshallah, we'll do all of them. So we'll stop there, inshallah, and we'll meet again next week. Uh, we have another three weeks after this week. So next week and the week after and the week after. And then we will be finishing the course for the summer and resuming after Hajj, inshallah ta'ala. Allah knows best. Wa salatu salam ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'i. Salam.